0: Do I lift up my soul?
1: service this morning. Thank you for being here, being part of our service. And also thank you for for, uh, all of the folks that will be watching on, uh, on the internet. We welcome you to our service. We come together this morning to worship the Lord. Let's start our time together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for all of the many blessings that you bestow upon us. Father, thank you for being with us and keeping us safe. We're thankful that we can come together today to worship you. And we pray that our worship together will be acceptable in your sight. Father, we pray that you'll be with Brother Ken today as he speaks to us about faith. And we pray that we will be a people of faith. And not of fear. Always be with us. Help us to do what's right in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Good morning. First song this morning will be O oh, worship the King. Worship the people.
1: a song about Jesus.
2: with me, please. Our loving Heavenly Father, we know that you are all-powerful. We're so thankful for how you looked into the future and planned for us, planned the sacrifice of your Son, planned the church, planned a home in heaven. And Father, we pray that as we worship thee this morning, that our worship would be pleasing in your sight. We pray your blessings to be upon this congregation, Father. We pray that uh, those around us would see our love for one another and know that we are your servants. We pray, Father, for a deeper faith. We pray that those around us could see our faith. We are sensitive, Father, this morning to those who uh, mourn over new-made graves. We pray for the family of Vernell Arnold and for the family of Beverly Carter. We pray that you would use us as instruments of your service and comfort. Father, we, we pray for those that are sick or have, are having or have had surgery. We pray especially for Marilyn Martin and John David Horn, and Sandra Neves and Tim Floyd and Kathy Davis and Tana Shouse Owens and Mark Morris and Pat Ross. We pray that your healing power would be with each of them if it is your will. Father, we pray for our country. We, we know that there is strife and turmoil on many fronts. And we pray that you would help us to be a country that would uh, return to respecting your word, that would return to respecting authority. We pray, Father, that you would use us to influence all that we can to turn back to you. And, Father, during this COVID pandemic, we are so thankful that many have had uh, vaccinations we're so thankful that uh, many are returning to worship publicly in our assemblies and we pray that you would help those who are not to overcome their fear and be able to strengthen themselves spiritually and worship you as you would see fit father we love you we are so thankful for Brother Ken and Anita and for them being part of this congregation. And we pray that you'd be with Ken as he breaks the word of life to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray.
3: Amen. Psalm before the lesson this morning will be Living by Faith.
0: I care not today but tomorrow.
3: scripture reading before our uh, lesson from brother ken is going to be taken from john chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 and many other signs truly did jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you might believe and that that you might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that believing you might have life through his name
4: Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, everybody. Sure is great to see you. Hope you had a great week. And now we are beginning a new week. And isn't it great to kick off a week worshiping the Lord and glorifying him and praising him. Thank you for all that you have done to participate in these acts of worship. We had a response this morning and Given that we are divided as we are by time, I thought you would like to hear this statement. This is from Steve Hodger. He said, often as we live our lives, we get so busy burning the candle at both ends that we allow Satan to diminish the light of faith. that monitors my tongue and attitude.
0: Recently,
4: I've been short-spoken, impatient, and just plain rude on occasion. I've sinned and set a poor example of a Christ-like spirit. I pray for God's forgiveness. prayer at all. several years ago, and now she has passed from this life to her reward, and I just think as Jim mentioned others who have suffered loss this week, the great consolation that the child of God has is that we will be together, and really that's a part of what all this is for, preparation for the future, looking forward to our home in heaven together. We're going to pray with regard to Stephen again, just us as a body, reinforce our commitment to forgive and encourage him, and also we'll be praying with regard to our study this morning. We're going to be talking about the power of faith, and I I hope that it will serve to do an enlivening work on your faith. That you can understand faith's power, certainly it's power in leading us to salvation, but also to action and to hope. Before all of that, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege and the blessing it is to be together as one family. And even though we as a body here at Moonville are separated by time, due to inconveniences, we are nevertheless cognizant of the oneness that we share as a body here in this community and of the work that we do together. Every member of this body is important and a vital part of that work. And certainly, Stephen is that for us. And today, we came forward asking for our forgiveness, which we readily give. We give that in recognition. That you offer to us steadfast that you are, in regards to become you know, precious and so Father, we all together are concerned about Stephen. We pray that you will help us in our individual ways to be an encouragement to him. And we know that you forgive, and we forgive too. And we, we cherish that. We pray, Father, for After those old... who suffer. A list of folks have been mentioned today as grieving, and we just pray your comfort on them. But we're thankful for the impact that their lives made on Cal. Our- I guess I don't have to tell you about the importance of faith. You you probably recognize it already. And it's a big one. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. The text there says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it isn't just that we believe that God is God. It's a step further than that. I also believe that what he has promised me, he is going to fulfill. So the word that he speaks impacts me directly just as the knowledge of his existence directs every step that I take. Jesus is even stronger with regard to the subject of faith and belief. In John chapter 8 and verse 24. He said, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sin. Oh, boy. Okay, so Jesus is pretty strong, isn't He? If you don't believe I'm He, and in this context, if you don't believe that I'm the Son of God, you're going to die in your sin. Strong language. No doubt about it. Faith is so incredibly important in fact i guess if you went back a couple of verses to verse 21 you'd find out that it's so important that jesus says if you're in your sin in this context if you're not believing that hasn't transformed you then you can't go where i'm going oh well we we know jesus going to heaven So him there with the father, I'm excluded if I have not developed belief, if I stay in my sin, not motivated by the belief that I have. So let's just stop for a moment and make some simple and and I think very obvious observations. You know, and I know just from what we mentioned a moment ago, the folks who are grieving today, you and I know that we are going to die. Uh, We are. I came to terms with that a long time ago, started seeing people around me die, suffer some of them, others dying very quickly, but experiencing the void in my life and realizing, you know what, I- I'm going the same way. I'm going to die. And the experience of all of us is that a person lives and they die. If If that weren't enough evidence, you know, the Bible comes out and says just that Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed for men to die once. And after this, the judgment. In other words, you're going to live, you're going to die, and you're going to face the judgment. You're going to face God. And depending on whether or not I had faith, sufficient belief, and a response to that faith, will actually determine the outcome of that event. I am also aware that when we die, we're gonna die in either one of two states. Either as these verses indicated, I'm going to die in my sin, Hebrews 8 verses 21 and 24, or I'm gonna die in Christ. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. I want to die in Christ. I want to enjoy the blessedness that it is not only to live for Jesus now, but to die in the assurance, in the knowledge of who Jesus is, and then of the subsequent benefits and blessings that come because of my commitment to Jesus, who is the Christ the Son of God. Seems to me it's pretty important that we understand faith. Now, I guess I could give you a definition. The definition that I I have is kind of a complicated one. I'll try to boil it down for you. But it was given to me this way, that faith is a firm, trusting confidence in the truth of a proposition based upon testimony concerning it. Did you get that? I told you it was a little complicated. But if you boil that down, it comes down to this, that, you know, faith is based on evidence. Faith is not some pie in the sky mentality. If I believe, if I have biblical faith, it is founded, it is based in fact. Now, I want to make a disclaimer here. It isn't just any kind of fact. It is not human facts that we're basing our belief in God upon. We're basing our belief in God upon divine facts. And those facts come from a very special singular location. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is going to be developed in you and me as a result of hearing the Word of God. Now, it's not just, oh, I heard it, okay, I got it. But the sense is that I hear it, I accept it, I internalize it. It becomes a part of me. The Word changes me. That's the whole idea of our gathering together for this exercise of worship. To strengthen that connection that we have with God based on faith. Faith that isn't just something handed down to me. It isn't a blind faith. But it's something that's based on evidence. Something that I can prove. Testimony that's given in regard to it. So what produces it? Well, I I see that Hebrews 10, 17. Are you saying that faith doesn't come to me like my understanding of gravity? You know, I don't sit under a tree and get hit by an apple and then I have faith. Faith doesn't happen that way. Faith doesn't happen as a result of a still small voice coming to you at night. And all of a sudden, now you believe in God. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is definable in some concrete terms. I believe in God because... And then I give the evidence of the Scriptures. Here's what the Scriptures testify to me. And that text that we just read. You know, many other the signs did Jesus in the presence of these disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing... You may have life in His name. Not just that you believe, but the extension of that belief. It is life. Jesus in John 10 verse 10 said, The thief doesn't come but for it to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That life, that abundant life is going to come, not just because of mental assent saying simply, I believe, but the extension of that. I believe and therefore I do. Salvation is one of those things that faith will lead us to, as well as action and hope. It is these things I hope to leave with you today and to challenge us with as regards our own faith. I think about the development aspect of it as is evidenced in Acts chapter 18, verse 8. In that text, you kind of have a synopsis of all that we'll be talking about today. It was actually originally in regard to Crispus and his household, but then it is by extension to many who were in Corinth who hearing, believed, and were baptized. They heard the word, that develops faith. They believed it, and then they acted on it in baptism. Since that is, I think, the most important aspect of our relation to faith, I want us to see how faith leads to salvation. Okay, if I say faith and salvation, probably almost immediately you will think of some texts of Scripture. Some texts have been fed to us since we were little children, and I hear these from practically everybody regardless of what their doctrinal understandings are. John chapter 3, verse 16, right? Isn't that one that always comes up? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, shall not die, but have everlasting life. Well, that's keying on what Jesus would later say in John chapter 8, right? If you don't believe that I am He, you're going to die in your sins. Oh, let's start positive. If you do believe, you're going to have everlasting life. I get it. Faith, salvation. That's an easy connection. Or, he does set that dichotomy down in verse 36, where he says, Well, okay, yeah, if you believe, you have life. If you don't believe, you shall not have everlasting life but the wrath of God is going to be on you. Oh, wait, now, there's a penalty associated with not believing, right? It isn't just that I'm ignorant or I'm somehow shut out, but I'm not only going to miss, you know, salvation or the enjoyment of thinking about heaven, but he says God's wrath is going to be upon you. Okay, getting more serious, but still, I see the connection between just... As he's putting it, just a simple expression of belief and then salvation. Well, I want you to understand, absolutely, no doubt about it, faith leads to salvation. These texts make that statement, as do many others. But what I want you to appreciate is that faith is not the end of the story. Faith alone doesn't save us. It is faith that is coupled with some very important considerations that God expands on through the writings to humans who are desirous of that salvation. And there is, I think it's an illuminating text in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Again, a passage most of us have heard many times. But it has within it an explanation of how it is that faith Gets us to the point of salvation. Paul says, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew person and also for the Greek. Now, don't miss the subtle description of salvation that's given here in this text. He does not say faith only will save you. What he says is, faith is a prerequisite to the power of God that does save you. Faith is a prerequisite to obedience to the gospel. Wait, Ken, he said that here in this text. He sure did. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, the faith that you develop that leads to salvation is a faith that you possess while you are still in your sins. Because your sins are only forgiven or washed away in the gospel. And he says what qualifies you for the gospel is belief. Belief, simply believing that Jesus is the Son of God is not enough. A person has to believe, and then he is qualified to obey the gospel. You say, okay, peace. Faith plus gospel equals salvation. Uh, You know, okay. But an important question then would be, what is the gospel? Well, the Bible defines that in very clear terms. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you have received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures." Now, some important salient points out of this text. He says that gospel that I preached to you, you're saved by that. Unless, of course, I preached it in vain, which then would mean vanity of that preaching didn't develop faith subsequent to the obedience to the gospel. I have to believe in order to qualify myself to obey the gospel. Okay, Ken, we've got it. Believe, and then death, burial, and resurrection. Wait a second. Death, burial, and resurrection. Those are facts. Are you saying, Ken, it's faith and faith? Like, I have faith in Jesus as Son of God. Now you're just saying have faith in the death, burial, and resurrection. No, that's not what I'm saying. Actually, the death, burial, and resurrection is an illustration, it's a type, and the antitype finds itself in what's called baptism, the gospel. That's found over in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead with the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Great. Obey the gospel. How do I obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? He says here in Romans 6, in baptism, I'm buried with Christ, I die there, I die to my sins, verse 7 of this very same text, and then I rise up out of that watery grave. The blood of Jesus washes away my sins in baptism. Wait a minute, before I obeyed the gospel, are you saying I was still in my sins? I'm saying exactly that. Even though I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, yes. Because a person must believe and then obey the gospel. Where'd you get that, Ken? Uh, That text, remember? Romans 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel of Christ, is the power of God to salvation. What's God's power to salvation? The gospel. God's power unto salvation for everyone. Who's it for? For everyone who believes for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. I'm saved through the power of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You'll see that when a person is baptized, immersed in water, buried, dying with Jesus, being resurrected to new life with Jesus. I'm qualified to do that when I have faith. That's the power of faith to salvation. but. I also want to add this, that it doesn't stop right there. And that's what verse 17 of Romans chapter 1 is all about. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. From faith, that's your justification by faith. From faith, having been justified to faith, the practice of faith, a life of faith. Because it's written this way, the just shall live, right? I wasn't just justified, I became justified, freed of my sins, uh, believed and obeyed the gospel, and then I continue to live a life of faithfulness. The just shall live by faith. Yeah, no doubt about it. Faith absolutely leads to salvation. But faith also leads to action. James chapter 2 verse 24. Interesting little text because in years past, some people just wanted to get rid of the whole book of James. It's filled with practical exhortations, but it has, it's got this statement in it and a whole discussion about faith and works right here in chapter 2. We find out in verse 24 that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And see, that kind of flies in the idea of what we mostly think, well, now wait a minute, a person cannot work their salvation in the sense that I do enough good works to make God my debtor. You know, if I'm just good enough, God will see that and He will give me salvation. Uh, that, no, that's not true. But you just said from this text that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Yeah, that's right. But you remember at the outset, we said or at least I said, that there's faith. But that faith is not based in human facts. That faith is based in divine facts. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not some human's word or some philosophy of the time. Not something that's very popular. It's based on God's Word. So divine words of God develop a faith that saves. So, in this text, when he talks about having been justified by works, in this setting, he's talking about not human works to justify myself on the basis of my goodness, but he's talking about works of faith. Those works that have been set aside and identified by God. Now, let's illustrate that. He does it, in fact, in this text. He says, I can give you two examples of that very thing. One has to do with a man by the name of Abraham. And everybody who read this letter would know exactly who Abraham is. And they would have every confidence in Abraham as the father of the faithful. So in verse 21 of chapter 2, he says, Oh, and you know, our father Abraham, was he not justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Well, that is stated in such a way as to imply rhetorically? Yes, of course he was. Wait, he was justified by his works when he offered his son? Yeah, you know, Abraham had faith. Abraham had such faith that when God said, you offer your son Isaac on an altar, even though God had already promised that many generations were going to follow after him, in fact, the seed promised that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed would begin with his own offspring. And so here's Abraham. Abraham is commanded by God to offer his son Isaac. Abraham does not hesitate. And the reason why is because he believed God's promise. He believed what God said. The Hebrew writer goes so far as to say he believed it to the extent that he thought, if necessary, God would even raise his son from the dead. Abraham believed God. And so he went to offer his son Isaac on an altar. His actions reflected the faith that he had. Same is true with Rahab in verse 25 of this text. Was not Rahab the harlot? Of course, mo- most people feel like, Rahab, that sinner, you know, that Gentile sinner? Okay, let you know we're covering all the bases. So wasn't A- uh, Rahab, that terrible harlot, the sinner, wasn't she justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Okay, rhetorically again, yes, yes, the answer is yes. But now wait a second. So Rahab was told, if you will take us in, then we will preserve your household. Well, she didn't know. She hasn't actually experienced it yet. She is trusting. She has faith in Almighty God that they represent, that when those guys are gone, that she and her family will be remembered because of their obedience. And so, she did exactly as she was told to do. She gathered her family in her house, and she put out the scarlet uh, rope and the thread, and there it is. God preserved them. Wasn't she justified by her works? In that she did what she said she would do based on the faith that she had. Faith resulted in action. Yes. Okay, now, how about you? You say you have faith. I do. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, you can be saved according to your work of faith. Wait, what is my work of faith? Well, a work of faith would be that which is divinely given. The instruction that is given with regard to your action relative to the faith that you say you have. You say you have faith, you say you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that God raised Him from the dead, then obey the gospel. Now that's simple, isn't it? If I obey the gospel, if I'm buried just like Jesus was buried, if I raise up like he was raised up, I leave behind that man of sin dead in the watery grave, then I will be saved. God said it, I believe it, and I act on it. You see, faith leads to action. In this case, obedience to the gospel. And then faith leads to hope. <laughs> oh, boy. So if you live your whole life of faithfulness, what do you expect? Going to heaven? Nod your head this way. Yeah, I live faithfully. I'm going to heaven. Be faithful until death. Revelation 2 verse 10, you'll see the crown of life. I can't wait. Okay. You know the Bible describes it, right? Live out faith, have salvation. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9 says it just that way. The end of faith is the salvation of your souls. I'm going to live faithful until death, and then I have my eternal salvation. I'll leave this temporary state, and I'll go and be with the Lord forever and ever. Yes, can't wait. You know that in the meantime, I'm going to be facing some things that want to take that joy away from me. want to take away the confidence that I should have about going to heaven to undermine me. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, we find out that this is the victory that's over the world. And it is even our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the whole world. You don't think that's a difficulty facing every single day the torrent of temptation for sin that comes our way, trying to upset our faith and to remove our hope? It happens constantly. And we are so easily tempted. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, that scripture says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But, listen now, he who does the will of God abides forever. Want to live forever? Want to be with God I do. Be faithful until death. Eschew the evil, turn to good. That's the idea. So I'm going to live a life of faithfulness. But as I'm living this life of faithfulness, there are some things that are apparent. One is I'm living in the presence of some unseen things. Now I just saw that I'm tempted constantly, lust of flesh, lust the eyes, pride of life. I'm tempted with every kind of thing that would upset the Christian walk. So what I've got to do is, despite what I see and the forces that are attacking me, I have to, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 9 and verse 5, i got to uh, walk by faith, not by sight. If I'm going to to be successful in this, I've got... I've got to have in mind that there is something beyond this life, right? And so as I am aspiring for heaven someday, it's got to be real to me. John chapter 14. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, Thomas is going to answer probably like, maybe we wouldn't voice it this way, but it's probably how we sometimes feel, like, I I don't know, big question mark. How am I going to go to heaven? I don't know if you're ever plagued with that, but People are plagued with it. How do we get there? Not clear, whatever. My faith's not big enough. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus gives this answer. And this is kind of straight from that idea of faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Trusting what God says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, God, what do you say? How can I find you? Jesus said, here it is. I'm the way. The truth. The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we go? How do we know? Trust me. You know what that is? (laughs) That, That is faith. And that kind of faith leads us to great hope, I say. Okay, I don't see it, but I do see it. I see it by faith. Great, if you have that, you're probably good. You can see through a lot of things the world's going to shoot at you. But look, if you can't see it, and you succumb to the world constantly, and you've gotten to a place where you you don't even believe in God. You don't believe, he has hurt me so much, or he has pulled out on me, or he has disappointed me, or you just fill in the blank. For whatever reason, you are discounting God altogether. And you refuse to do what he commands you to do. You're not going to obey. You're just, you're done with all of that. To you, it's just, you know, it's nothingness. And forget that obeying the gospel business. What in the world? Uh, You know what? That is a choice you make. But here's what's going to happen. Now, I didn't share with you, uh, for time's sake, what happens in the latter part of First Thessalonians, chapter 4, beginning verse 13, where, boy, we have the day of the Lord coming. in, he's, he's going to come from heaven, we're going to meet him in the air, and he's bringing with him those who sleep in Jesus, and great trumpets and shouts and all that, just a magnificent day. But, concurrent with that powerful, encouraging, happy event, is this one, for those who who are not so minded, not so faithful. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7, it says that the Lord's going to descend from heaven in flaming fire with His mighty angels, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Okay, now stop and think about what we just read. Separation from God, punishment. The, the, the cohort of Jesus with mighty angels is coming after those who do not know God. You don't believe. No faith. And those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that significant? Well, because salvation, we already know, is belief. And obedience to the gospel, right? Isn't that what we saw? He's coming to take vengeance on those who do not obey God, don't know God, not, no faith, and who don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So where does that put me? Well, as a child of God, trying to live faithfully every day, expectation of the end of life, being saved, it puts me in a good light. I'm happy. I, I just want to live a life of faith. If that is not you, then you're in that latter category. Either you don't believe God, and maybe you do believe. uh, Think about the tragedy of this. I do believe in God. I do believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I do believe God raised Him from the dead. I believe all of that. Think about the tragedy of believing in God, but not obeying the gospel. What in the world? I would still be lost because, remember, that faith that is... The prerequisite to obedience to the gospel is faith. That's, well, it's when I'm still in my sin. And if you're in your sin, John 8 and verse 21, you cannot be where Jesus is. Remedy, salvation, belief, faith, obedience to the gospel. So I know the scripture says that unbelief is said to be an evil thing. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. It's evil. Because it keeps us, unbelief keeps us from the word of God. Keeps us from our salvation. Keeps us from our hope. Jesus asked a question one time. It's recorded in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8 that relates to this idea. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Okay. Okay. When the Son of Man comes, I'm going to be faithful. He'll find me. But I'm asking you, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find you faithful? If not, if you're thinking not, then remedy that right now. If you need to obey the gospel, you believe. You've just never had the courage. Listen you got to have the courage. You don't want the attention of the Lord and his mighty angels in that day. Obey the gospel today. If you're a child of God and you've not been walking by faith or you become discouraged, listen, that, that's the devil's ploy to take your eye off the prize. Today's the day to tell him to get behind you and to once again strive faithfully for that eternal home. Maybe there's something else we can pray about today. We'll do that too. Whatever the need is, come if you need to while we stand together and sing. And, uh...
1: For the Lord's Supper this morning will be Can He Still Feel the Nails?
5: Supper? All right, I don't see any hands up. I have been out of town the last three weeks in a row, and as such, I got to listen to a sermon series uh, that was about the image of God, and it's made some points that I hadn't really thought about. I want to share one of those with you real quick this morning. We're told in Genesis that we are created in the image of God, and oftentimes I think we attribute that to our physical appearance. When in fact, I don't think that's really what that means. Whenever someone looks at us, they should see God. We should be like a mirror. We should reflect God in our own lives. But then we sinned, mankind I mean, and we broke our own mirror. And when we did that, we could no longer image God. But then Christ came, and he came in the image of God. And now we are to image Christ. And as Ken pointed out in Romans 6... One of the ways that we image Christ is in our baptism where we recreate or image his death, burial, and resurrection. And now you hear the phrase, and a picture is worth a thousand words. And that song is excellent for that as well. Because what we're about to partake in is to remind us of the image of what Christ had to do for us so that we could have an opportunity at salvation. So as we go through these emblems, Think through the nails that were driven, the lashes that were put across the back. And as he cried out, it is finished. Because he had finished creating the new image that we can now become part of. Because now we can image God, and we have a chance of opportunity of being saved. Let's give thanks for the bread. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for this bread that we are about to take. We are thankful for the body that it represents the body that was given as a sacrifice for us, Heavenly Father, that was hung on the cross to save us from our sins. And Lord, we pray that each of us that take this will take this in a way that is pleasing to thy sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now let us give thanks for the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. For this fruit of the vine which represents the blood that was poured out that each drop that was poured out lord was needed to take care of our sins to wash us free to make us white in front of your appearance heavenly father pure and good for you and lord we are thankful for the thought that you had to create this for us heavenly father we pray that all of us will take this in a pleasing manner to you in jesus name we pray amen There are uh, several ways that you have an opportunity to give. I believe there are five that are actually on the screen right now. Uh, but let's go to our God in prayer and bless that offering. To your Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for the blessings you have stowed upon us. We are thankful for the ability to work and to earn a wage, Heavenly Father. And we pray that each one that they will give, Heavenly Father, back in a way that they have been blessed. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
3: Good morning. Do have just a few announcements before we're dismissed. There was 195 in worship this morning at 1030. Uh, Seniors 2021. There will be an ice cream social on Sunday, May 2nd. This will be immediately following the evening classes in the annex and everyone is invited. I have a card. Says thank you all for all the calls cards texts food visits and prayers for my family during the passing of my father george hale my family appreciates everything and asks for continued prayers for my family in the days ahead in christian love sherry beard and family I want to remind everyone there is a All ladies are invited to a wedding shower in honor of Carly Chittum, bride elect of Tyler White, today from 1 to 2.30 in the Annex. There will be an elders, deacons, and ministers meeting today at 2 o'clock in the Little Chapel. And remember everyone, tonight is lads to leaders recognition night in the auditorium. There will be a devotional at 5 o'clock, but there will not be any classes. All participants are encouraged to attend, and please wear your red t-shirt and medals you received at convention. And also, uh, you know, last month we had our Easter egg hunt. We hit over 1,200 eggs, but Miss D informed me this morning that we still have around 568 or so eggs. They were in a big black garbage bag sitting in the little chapel. She said, what do you want to do with them? so i have a plan i've thought quickly i moved the big black garbage bag from out of the little chapel to right beside the door there if you are age 2 to 99 on your way out feel free to help yourselves to some candy filled eggs because what is not taken today we really want them out of this uh Church, what is not taken today, the kids at Satilla High School, Tristan, come see me tomorrow, and you will have candy-filled eggs if they're not taken today. Uh, if y'all will bow your heads, we'll close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we got to get up this morning, come, and hear a lesson taught from your word. We're so thankful for Brother Ken and his ability to preach. God, we ask that we please be examples to others that you would have us to be. We thank you so much for the example of Brother Stephen Hodgson this morning and what he means to all of us. God, we love you, and we thank you, and we ask you to please forgive us for where we failed you. Please go with us this week and help us be better this week than we were last. In Jesus' name, amen.